0: This reading is from Isaiah chapter six, verses one to nine. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins are atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. He said, go and tell these people be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving.
1: Good morning, everyone. I'm really enjoying getting to know all of you. And uh, it's been lovely to chat with people on the Zoom chat after the meetings and uh, in midweek at the prayer meeting. And I'm ringing round you all. And uh, hopefully sometime soon you'll get a phone call from me just introducing myself and... Hopefully, getting to know you a little bit better. But um, if you remember, in uh, recent weeks, we've talked about we talked about we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I talked uh, originally about uh, Haggai, and in chapter one of Haggai, where uh, God tells him to build the house, and uh, how in the Old Testament uh, the view was that uh, God dwells in a place in The Ark of the Covenant, in the middle of the tabernacle, uh, in the temple. And temples were buildings, a place where God's presence would dwell. In the New Testament, it's very different. There's a fundamental shift. And in Acts chapter 7, Stephen sums it up perfectly. When he's about to be martyred, he says, God doesn't live in temples built by human hands. And as we know, Saul is watching this, he's hearing this. And later on, after his conversion, Paul writes in Corinthians, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So he means we the church, the collective body, but also we are temples. Individual disciples of Jesus, followers of the way, We are temples of the Holy Spirit. So instead of God residing in a place, God resides in people. Dan, last week, he talked about living a victorious life, living in harmony with the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to work his his grace through us and his life through us and therefore living in that victory. And when you look throughout the the New Testament, you repeatedly see the New Testament building on this picture. You see, the spirit of God lives in people, not a place, but lives in people. And so we see Paul building on that picture. We see the writer to the Hebrews talking about we are God's house and we see Peter Describing us all as living stones being built into a spiritual house. So the New Testament clearly teaches that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? Well, we need to look at what happens in a temple. And then once we know what happens in a temple, then we'll see how we respond to that. How our lives reflect that, how we create something in our lives that really builds upon that and brings that to a reality. And so that's why Karis read from uh, Isaiah chapter 6. It's a wonderful picture of uh, what's happening in a temple. Isaiah, well, he has a vision of God. He has a revelation of God. He has an encounter with God. And uh, if you open your Bibles to that Isaiah chapter 6, I just want to point out just five very quick but very powerful stages of what happens in a temple. And as we're looking at what happens in in a temple, in the temple, I want you to think about what's happening in your life. Is it happening in your life? And if we get that right, personally, well, when we get together, boy, will that be an amazing encounter with God. So Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 says this. In the year King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and his train filled the temple. Isaiah was in a place of encounter that's what happens in a temple it's a place of encounter if in the old testament it was a place where God's presence dwelt then that was a place of encounter Isaiah was in that place he was in the right place to have an encounter I wonder what that means for us are we Are we in a right place in ourselves for that encounter with God? Are we regularly getting into the habit of having those encounters with God? Sometimes it might not feel like anything's happening. We might feel a million miles away from God. But hey, David, the songwriter said, he said, God, I pray to you and it seems like the heavens are like brass. So we're in good company. But David had a breakthrough. And so does Isaiah here. You see, he was in the right place for encounter. We've got to put ourselves in that place. If you look at the previous chapter of Isaiah, he was in a worshipful place. He was was writing a song to God. He was singing a song out to God. We might not all be the best singers, but we can all sing a song to God. We can sing of his goodness. We can remember his faithfulness. We can just remember how awesome he is. And that's what Isaiah was doing. Therefore, he had an encounter. So temples are where an encounter happens. Then we go on to verse 2 and verse 3. So it says this. Hovering around him were his mighty seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and the remaining two flew. In a great chorus they sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Well, I mean, you've just got to pause there and say, Wow, wow. This place was a place of adoration, and worship. Isaiah. He got himself in that place. He's encountered God. But as he's. As he's just encountering God. He's just aware something amazing is happening. And he doesn't take himself quickly out of that place. He takes time. He takes time to just take it all in. To ponder. To really fully take in this encounter it filled him with awe it filled him with reverence it just filled him with a just a sense of of wonder and in this world where we all seem to be rushing to the next thing and the the next thing i wonder if we're ever in that place where we just think "Do do you know what let's just take a bit of time let's just think about god Let's get lost in wonder, love, praise, or reverence. Let's make this temple a place of adoration and worship. And then we get to verse four and five. And then I said, "My destruction is sealed, for I am a sinful man." And a member of a sinful race, yet I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Well, this seems like a a, a terrible place for Isaiah to be. Suddenly, he's aware of the awesome presence of God, and he's really aware he's not worthy. He's not worthy. He's got sin in his life. It's a, it's a place of revelation. But actually, it's a good place to be. A place of revelation is a good place to be because it's a place of realisation. It's, it's a place of truth. He recognised God's holiness. It was revealed to him. But he also recognised his sinfulness, his unworthiness, the state of, of, of his state before a holy God. And you might think that that might be a very, very fearful place to be. Well, look at verses six and seven. Then one of the seraphim flew over to the altar and he picked up a burning coal with a pair of tongues. He touched my lips with it and said, see this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt Is removed and your sins are forgiven the temple was a place of revelation it revealed God's holiness and it revealed Isaiah's sinfulness but it's a place of restoration it's a place where Isaiah experienced the forgiveness the cleansing from God there was re- reconciliation. He didn't have to run from God. He didn't have to hide from God. God made that move towards him. The seraphim brought a flaming coal and touched Isaiah's lips with it. Isaiah didn't have to do anything. He just remained in that presence. And the seraphim came and touched his lips. And We know The the New Testament picture of that was Jesus dying on the cross for us. We, We didn't do anything to deserve that. But Jesus came, Jesus sacrificed himself, he hung on the cross for you and me so that we could have that restoration, so that we could have that reconciliation with God, so that we could experience forgiveness. So the temple is a place of restoration. If you have an encounter with God... Let me encourage you to remain in that place. Worship God. Recognise who he is. Have a revelation of his holiness and your own sinfulness. But remain there and remain in a place where you can be restored. That's God's heart towards us. He wants to restore us. He wants to build us up. He wants to repair us. He wants to set us right. And then in verse 8, this is the complete picture of what goes on in a temple. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to my people? Who will go for us? And I said, Lord, I'll go. Send me. Well, the temple is a place of purpose. Isaiah heard God's call. It was a place where he heard God's call because he recognised who he was in God. He recognised his own identity. He was a child of God and he responded. So there was a sending out. He, God was purposing, purposing him to be sent out to be a witness for him. And that's exactly what should happen in a temple. It should be a place where we recognise our purpose. We realise our purpose. We respond to that call because we respond knowing where our identity lies. It's not in our own strength. It's in the strength of Jesus. And he's sending us. He's calling us. He's commissioned every single one of us to go out into all the world and declare the gospel. So, where does that leave us? Well, let me tell you a little story. Quite some time ago now, when I was a lot younger than what I am now, um, we decided that um, it would be a great day to go out for a picnic. And so, Lisa and I and a couple of our friends, we got in the car and we set out from Sheffield, where we lived at the time, and, uh, well, there's no better place than Derbyshire, And so we decided that we were going to go into Derbyshire for a picnic. And uh, I borrowed my dad's car and off we set. We were just coming out of the long road out of Sheffield, uh, up the hill towards Carver in Derbyshire. And uh, suddenly the car started coughing and spluttering. And I wonder what, what, what on earth is happening. And I looked down at the dashboard and I could see the needle on the fuel gauge totally empty and all of a sudden the thing just popped and lurched and come to a grinding hole. We'd run out of fuel. Well my friend's girlfriend was very small, she was very light so we decided that she would steer the car and the rest of us, three of us, would get out and we would start pushing this old car of my dad's. So we did. We started pushing this car up this quite a gentle but very long incline, uh, up the hill to the top of the hill, and then we would freewheel down into Carver. Well, we were pushing, cars were coming past, and uh, nobody was coming past to help us, and it seemed like we were pushing for an age. And then all of a sudden, this car pulled in front, stopped, and a guy got got out, and he was a Big sergeant major type with a big handlebar moustache. I'll help you, he said. And he pointed to me and he said, go in my boot. There's a big cable in that boot and we can we can tow you with that. So I went into the boot of his car. There was all sorts in the boot of his car. Uh, there were so many bottles of uh, booze, it was like an off-licence. But there was this big cable with a hook at both ends. And so... I hooked this cable onto the front of uh, my dad's car. I couldn't find anywhere to hook it onto uh, onto his car. So I said to the guy, where, sh- where should I hook this? And he said, oh, just hook it onto my bumper. I thought, well, it's probably not a good idea, but if you say so. So I hooked it onto his bumper and then he gave us some instructions. We're going to go up the hill and uh, then we're going to take a left turn and then I'm going to take you to the top of the hill. And then you can freewheel all the way down into Carver and there's a petrol station on your left. Great. thought, fantastic. So we all got back in, in the car. He got in his car. He drove it so the cable went tight and he started to tow us up the hill. It was great. We were we were steering up well, while I was steering along. And uh, he was uh, in front and he stuck his thumb out the window and I stuck my thumb up and we were going great. Then he indicated to go left. So I indicated to go left. He turned left. I turned the wheel. And then suddenly. I realized the steering lock had come on. As my friend's girlfriend was was in the car, she turned the ignition off and now the steering lock was on. So this guy's car was going like this and our car was going like that and the cable in between was getting tighter and tighter. Well, you can imagine what happened. It wasn't long before suddenly that cable got so tight. I was peeping my hooter at the guy and all he was doing was sticking his thumb out of the window and looking straight ahead and suddenly, wham! The cable reached the full extent of its uh, its length and there was a massive jolt and it pulled not just the bumper but all the back end off this guy's car, all around the boot lights and everything. Well, I got out of the car and the guy was swearing like mad and um, it was a disaster, it was a disaster. And eventually, after lots of apologies, we left him. He was able to drive away, even though his car was very damaged. Uh, And we freewheeled down the hill and uh, got to the petrol station. But really, it reminds me that if we're the temples of the Holy Spirit, the book of Galatians encourages us to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. In my version, the New Living Translation, it says, so I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. The NIV says, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. If we don't keep in step with the Holy Spirit, sooner or later the Holy Spirit's going to go that way and we're going to go our own way and whatever joins us is going to get tighter and tighter and something's going to snap. Something's going to break. Our relationship with God breaks if we don't do that. What we need to do is be guided by the Holy Spirit. Go with the Holy Spirit. Don't lock yourself out of the activity of the Holy Spirit. Live in harmony with the Spirit. As Dan said last week, make your life a temple of the Holy Spirit. Have regular encounters with God. Spend time adoring and worshipping God for who he is. Get a revelation of who he is and how helpless we are without him. Allow God to restore you with his forgiveness and his love and his reconciliation. And know your own purpose. Know your purpose in God. Sense his calling, obey his calling in your life. Tell others about this wonderful, wonderful relationship that you have with God. Make your life a temple of the Holy Spirit. And in that way, we'll go with him wherever he leads. And the bond will be sweet. God bless you this morning. Spend time with him. Spend time with each other.